and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for The Muppets Wizard of Oz. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend, my co-host, Julio. Julio, we continue on with The Muppethon here this evening. Yes. Uh, would you say I am uh, the Fozzy to your Kermit or uh, the, the Pepe to your Ashanti? I don't know. I would have to be Fozzy or Rolf. You would be Kermit. You're the skinnier one of us. So, <laughs> and I think my forehead's getting bigger and bigger each year, not yours. So I think I would fall in line with uh, maybe Fozzie because he's bald. Uh, but you know, we're up there. Yeah, I mean, we can trade places when necessary. Yeah, we we can. We're a, we're a combination of the Muppets. So. Carrying on with 2005's television movie, made-for-television event movie, The Muppets Wizard of Oz, starring, of course, The Muppets and Ashanti. Who is Ashanti? Julio, what, do you, what can you tell me about Ashanti? I can tell you that she's in this movie. Uh, my wife walked past the TV while this was playing, and she's like, is that Ashanti? So. There you go. Yeah, she was a, a popular artist of the time period. To a certain extent, it almost felt like this was like a vehicle. Like let's let's make Ashanti a thing. Uh, but no, she's still going strong. She's forty one now, and this movie was sixteen years ago. So do the math on that. Twenty five. Yeah. Yep. Fuck, man, getting to work with the Muppets in your mid twenties. That would have said to me that I made it. Um, the Muppets tackle the Wizard of Oz, uh, of course, based on the Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, directed by. Kirk R. Thatcher. What else has Mr. Thatcher done? Looks like he did the recent um, Muppets Haunted Mansion oh. for Disney+. Plus. So he's a he's a Muppets mainstay. It's part of the crew. He was also hired by Leonard Nimoy to associate produce Star Trek uh, for The Voyage Home. The Muppets cameo in The Voyage Home was... Uh, that was this guy's <laughs> it was bid. a dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Julio. So we continue on the Muppethon here. We had last week the 1979 Muppets, which, of course, uh, timeless, fresh, highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. We're alternating here. So that, of course, brings us to the rotten Muppets Wizard of Oz at 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, here to discuss not potentially why, but just why <laughs> critics got this wrong and what the fuck they were confused about based on a. 10 reviews though so like uh like we were saying a little bit earlier a shallow pool yeah 10 reviews so so three negative rev- no three positive reviews 
and that gives you a 30%, basically, mm-hmm. and more or less. That That's enough to make the Muppets Wizard of Oz look like... And people think this is some tried and true system, <laughs> yes. where you see shit like this, and it's 30% just because fucking seven people, someone pissed in their Cheerios the morning they watched this, <laughs> and they just couldn't handle it. But that's what we're here to do, because here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, known as Certified Fresh in a lot of cases, with that logo that they love so dear slapped on there, like Joan Calamezzo's book club. Uh, what we'll do with those movies, uh, we shoot for about 85% and above, is we will cut them down to size, point out some of the issues with it, plot holes, horrendous acting, what have you, things that we feel were unfairly swept under the rug. Uh, on the other side of the coin, we will find a movie that is lowly rated, uh, rotten as it's known, usually shoot for about 30% and below, and we'll call out that movie's positive merit, some of the under-celebrated aspects of it, good writing, good acting, um, thematically some really strong points, things that critics you know, maybe ignored, all in an effort to show that not only is Rotten Tomatoes a flawed system, but shit is subjective, man. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be, or you can bury something if you really have your heart set on doing so. If you don't like Muppets, you can just ruin their Rotten Tomatoes score. (laughs) Yeah, for real. If you're just bitter that these puppets have had careers spanning 50 years and are still (laughs) successful, and you just want to get on the internet and vent about it, you can do that. But that all comprises the first portion, the first half of our podcast, Julio. We call that Contrarian's Corner. If listeners, be it new or returning, want to hear how we really feel about what we're discussing, they just have to hang on to the second half. That's correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you our real feelings about this movie. Alex and I, we've been joking around quite a bit before we started this recording about uh, The Muppets Wizard of Oz, but so far, neither of us has really shown his cards whether we actually like this movie or not, how much we like it, how much we dislike it, where do we rank it. That's not always the case, but this, uh, now, in this particular episode, I'm very curious, once we get to real talk, what is this? Is is this one that Alex is going to come really hard on as a a gem that's being maligned by Rotten Tomatoes, or is he going to side with the critics and say that this is, this is not good? And maybe he's wondering the same thing about myself whatever the case you listeners you are going to find out how we really feel when we get to real talk absolutely so let's just get into it 30 percent, julio a shallow pool of reviews like i said uh don't dive in you might break your neck uh but <laughs> definitely enough to make up a rotten rating a rotten score as they say so what were these critics saying about the muppets wizard of oz all right, I got I got some rotten quotes. Uh, started with David Cornelius from eFilmCritic.com, who says something's gone horribly wrong at Muppet Central, and it's high time somebody fix it. Wah. <laughs> horribly wrong. Nobody fixed it. They just went on hiatus. Was that the fix? Was Jason Siegel too busy at that time? He had to wait till 2011 to really satisfy. I wonder how David Cornelius feels about the 2011 Muppets. Uh, Kathy Mayo. From the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, says the nader of the Oz adaptations. I guess that's why she's covering it because it's because of the Wizard of Oz connection. Magazine of nader, fantasy. Did you say N A D E R? N A D I R. Alex, I know this has come up before in a quote, and I remember asking you, "Hey, how do you pronounce this?" And uh, neither of us was completely sure. This time, I went to Google and then to YouTube. 
And uh, oh, I thought it was Nadir. Well, it can be either. It can be Nadir. Oh. It can be Nadir, or it can be Nader. Uh, one is the British pronunciation. One is the American pronunciation. I thought you said Nader because it was 2005. I thought this was supposed to be some joke on uh, Ralph Nader, who had <laughs> run for president the previous year. Unfortunately, uh, no, it's not spelled that way. <laughs> the Ralph Nader of the Oz adaptations. Wouldn't that have been brilliant? Yes. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say Jeffrey Tambor in this movie. It's the Ralph Nader <laughs> yes. of Oz's. Uh, all right. And finally, Peter Canavese from Groucher Reviews says, We're a long way from the creative energy, heart, and charm of Henson's Muppet movies, even though I'm not ready for the Henson company to stop trying. Well, Peter, <laughs> they stopped for a while. And partly because people like you gave this a rotten score. I hope you're proud. I don't understand, though. It's like... <laughs> I'm already hopping to the end of this, the retrospective on it. <laughs> These people, did they just expect greatness every single time? These are the same people that bitch that fucking uh, Muppets Most Wanted wasn't that good. Yeah. Which is asinine. <laughs> Where is Jason Siegel? Yeah. And this, I mean, it's a made-for-TV movie starring a pop celebrity. I think it, it, that's an adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. I think you should have a pretty good idea coming into it what it's going to be. But I guess not. I was waiting for the Stadler and Waldorf quote, but they didn't even have the decency to submit their quotes about this movie to Run Tomatoes. <laughs> they get a cameo at least, though, yeah. as is tradition, as was the style at the time. So the date was May 20th, 2005. The destination was ABC for the premiere of The Muppets Wizard of Oz, the Tale of Dorothy Gale, of course, Ashanti. An orphan teenage girl living in a trailer park in Kansas with her Aunt M, Queen Latifah, given the and credit, of course, and Queen Latifah, and her Uncle Henry, David Allen Greer. Uh, she works at a diner, uh, works for them to, you know, pay her way, give uh, pay her rent, I guess, as it were. And she has dreams of grandeur, dreams of being a star and wanting to go and sing. And she's going to go audition to go on tour with the Muppets is the plan. The Muppets are doing a American Idol style auditions throughout America. I mean, oh, I that's guess. what it is. God, I didn't even put two and two together on that. But yeah, this would have been the peak of that type of shit. American <laughs> Idol. Uh, Julio, where did did you rent this on YouTube? How did you watch this? I did uh, Apple TV. Actually, I was gonna do. I think it was Amazon. Wherever, everywhere that I looked, it was basically three ninety nine to rent, or I think it's. 1099 to own and as much as i love the muppets i wasn't sure that i wanted to commit that hard to ashanti so i was like i'm gonna rent mm -hmm. it if i if i really like it i'll buy it and i ended up going with uh apple tv because like amazon i think it said uh 399 to rent on sd or 1099 to own on hd and that rubbed me the wrong way because i'm like why wouldn't you let me rent it on hd and uh apple didn't say that so I assumed that that meant that Apple was letting me rent it on HD. And then I played it after renting it. And no, that was very much SD. So moral of the story, when they don't tell you it's HD, that don't assume that it's HD. <laughs> That's how Apple gets your money. <laughs> Same thing happened here with YouTube. It was rent on standard definition, buy on high definition. I rented it, and now I'm not even sure that, you know... <laughs> I'm not sure that high definition is going to count for much because it was obviously a made-for-TV movie at a time where not everything was in high definition. I don't know if you remember, Julio. This was a time when there were only like 
a dozen HD channels uh, because everything was still in flux. Mm-hmm. And, every, and then even then, everything on those HD channels wasn't necessarily in high definition. Now, you know, it's weird if it's not. But back then, you know, the TV shows that were in high definition, that was part of like their advertising. Like, I don't know, whatever Tim Allen was in at that time. Uh, <laughs> Tim Allen in high definition this Thursday night at 9. Uh, so there were still a lot of things that weren't. Dolby like, I don't think WWE was in high definition until like 2008, 2009. I remember UFC was one of the first big sporting events promotions uh broadcasts that was in hd they were doing that shit in like early 04 because they were still like desperate to get any type of exposure and there was like a channel called hd network or something it wasn't hd net it was something else it might have just been the high definition channel that came with every like high definition cable package and they were just starved for content so like ufc got into the ground level way before that they exploded but uh they would just air their shows in hd because i remember that being the first sport i saw in high definition and then eventually football came and now everything's in high definition uh but the problem is, and as we've discussed with uh, when you record something um, digitally like this in the format that it was originally intended for, in this case, 4.3 for television screens, I don't know if you can remaster this. You can maybe make the sound a little bit better and obviously the picture a little sharper, but it's not the same thing as having you know film that you can go through and transfer and remaster. So, Well, but do you think that maybe what this means is that this was shot on film? <laughs> and then audiences just got this shitty, you know, downgrade to just like, you know, TV camera quality. But there's there's still like film out there of uh, the Muppets Wizard of Oz. And this uh, most certainly was not shot on film. So <laughs> I I respectfully will disagree. You know, Quentin Tarantino loves film. So do you don't think that that was one of the clauses in his contract? I think he might just love the Muppets a little bit more. <laughs> he was just like, all right, this is cool. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a Blu-ray of it or anything. There is a DVD of it, but I don't know. Might be a lost cause looking for that shit. <laughs> that and the village. Well, that difference with that is the the village is one they're sitting on that they're going to have a Criterion release of eventually, and people will lose their mind. <laughs> David Allen Greer. Do you like David Allen Greer? He is so fucking funny to me. And, and the opening here, it's just him being himself, very <laughs> erratic and verbose and, you know, Oh, damn it. And, you know, getting in a fight with Queen Latifah. And it's a very small role he has in this, but I've always found him funny. Blank Man was a, a favorite of my childhood. Uh, so seeing him, I think the last thing I saw him in, like a movie I watched, was The Big Sick when he was just like a cokehead asshole in that movie. <laughs> and that left me with a bad taste in my mouth. So I was just glad to see him back to being his goofy self. It's funny because I know David Allen Greer. I like him. I always perk up whenever he shows up in a movie. But I don't have any strong memories associated with his career. So to me, like I've never seen Blank Man. Uh, but I see him come up. And I'm like, hey, it's that guy. And he's funny. And he was funny here. You're right. I mean, he he trades blows, uh, figuratively, with uh, Queen Latifah. And he's still standing by the end of the movie. He's he's He knows when to be sassy and when to back off. And... Uh, I, I just love them. I mean, that combination, Queen Latifah and David Allen Greer, is so good that it actually makes you miss them ahead of time. You know what I mean? Because you know they're playing mm -hmm. uh, the aunt and 
uncle. So they're not going to be part of the story. They're there just for the setup and then for Dorothy to come back to at the very end. Uh, so it was kind of a shame that I knew that our time with them was going to be very limited because I, I was really enjoying just that interaction. And to get that much enjoyment of a Muppet movie before the Muppets show up, that's a big accomplishment. So Dorothy dips out. She's going to go audition for Star Hunt as the Muppets are looking for a backup singer. Uh, Queen Latifah doesn't want her to. She thinks she's got her head in the clouds and this is really never going to go anywhere. Uh, she should just, you know, accept what she has at the diner and stay there. While as uh, David Allen Greer, her uncle, is very supportive. She has to stay and work to the end of her shift because, like we said, Aunt Em is not supportive, so she doesn't let her go early. Uh, when she shows up to the audition, she's a little late, uh, about five minutes late, and the, whoever the owner of the building is is kind of shooing her away while the tour bus of the Muppets is pulling out. She runs, and the, uh, Kermit's there. He's the first one to answer. He's the first Muppet we see on screen, as it should always be, <laughs> and she explains, hey, you know, I came to audition, but I missed it. Here's my my uh, demo CD. Give it a listen and see what you like, and Piggy's trying to rush them along. And this is where we get uh, Rizzo's line of him saying, how is it so hard to find a, a talented woman in America? It's something something to that effect. And then he adds, how do the producers of Girls Gone Wild do it? That uh, a lot, you know, I don't know what it is. It's like, it's funny, but the whole we're way more sensitive about things like that right now. And also Girls Gone Wild doesn't exist anymore. So when you hear that, and also the concept of Girls Gone Wild was like cool when I was 18. Uh, and now it's just kind of like gross. Uh, it just watch porn, like watch something where, you know, the pool needs to get fixed. So people end up having sex, not some creeper with a camera having to get, convince a woman to show her tits in like this seedy, gross bathroom. Uh, again, that's one of those things I look back. I'm like, why did we as a society ever think that was cool? Uh, but the Muppets are always pop culture yep. time capsules. And that's what this right away to the forefront. They bring up something. And if Ashanti doesn't do it for you, a Girls Gone Wild reference will immediately put you back in 2005. Or a Napster reference. And yeah, immediately followed by a Napster reference because she tells Ashanti we'll just download it off Napster, right? Yep. <laughs> it's adorable. I mean, nobody was using Napster by 2005. <laughs> so I just love the idea that Miss Piggy was just so out of touch with reality. Oh, yeah. Everyone was like on Kazaa and shit by that point. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Piggy's still using Napster. Yeah, It's... Those are references, you know, we talk about the Muppets being timeless, but that's the type of shit that there are people walking this earth right now that if they listen to that, they wouldn't understand either of those references. What is Girls Gone Wild? And then thanks to the magic of the internet, they can just get on Google and just go down that rabbit hole. All right. So she misses the audition. She goes back. She's not happy. She gets in a fight with her Aunt Em, Queen Latifah. And, you know, she wants out. She wants a better life. And Queen Latifah is telling her, you know, the, the show business isn't all you think it is. And very real dynamics that I think a lot of us can relate to. E even if, you know, you never really had dreams of conquering the world and show business, the whole idea of, you know, fighting with your family at the age of, you know, Ashanti, she's probably supposed to be like 16 or 17 in this movie. Uh, and then she drops the line, like, I don't want to end up like you. It's heavy shit, man. All the while. <laughs> This raging storm's going on, and the emergency sirens are starting to go off. And David Allen Greer is like the voice of reason of like, come on, quit fighting. We got to get the fuck out of here. He's seen Twister. He has. 
uh, he's probably seen the Wizard of Oz also. <laughs> <laughs> so they run to the storm shelter of the trailer park, but uh, Shanti runs back, Dorothy, excuse me, because she wants to get her pet, a uh, pet prawn named Toto. And here's how dumb I am, how daft. I was like, why the fuck is Toto a prawn? And so <laughs> the tornado comes, takes the trailer home off with it, and wishes off Dorothy to a faraway land. And upon their landing, this is where it becomes evident why Toto is a prawn. Because it's Pepe, the king prawn of Muppets lore. So this is, Alex, this is where I learned that Pepe is a prawn. All these years, I What do you think he was? A cockroach. Because he has the multiple oh. arms and the antenna. So I thought that he was... And I thought that that was great. I, I, I thought that the Muppets were super inclusive <laughs> having a roach as part of their, their crew. I'm like, that's cool. Nobody else would do it. Nobody else would get away with it. But in my mind, I'm like, the Muppets, yeah, they'll take anybody. I mean, Reese is a rat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, why not? Bring him. And, and the fact that on top of that, you know, he was, in my mind, a roach that thought himself a, a, a ladies' man. <laughs> He was super sexy. <laughs> Makes it even funnier. Uh, I mean, he's funny as a prawn as well. It still works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I it, I don't remember. I've seen the the Judy Garland Wizard of Oz once a long time ago. Bored me to death. Please uh, just call it the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you don't have to predicate it uh, or preface it with the Judy Garland. Well, I don't want somebody that, that's like a big fan of the Wizard of Oz who's watched every adaptation or whatever you know be like but which one you know the one that everybody's seen the one that everybody loves um so i don't remember what the setup was there i I know that the basic beats of the story but in that one it's not like dorothy was arguing with her aunt and uncle about wanting to go to the big city or anything right she's just out there and then the the tornado happens right yeah carries her off to oz yeah, see, so so that already is such a major improvement because I, I think that there's a lot more to it here where uh, it's not that she accidentally gets carried to Oz and whatever. It's like her traveling to Oz gives her an opportunity to fulfill those dreams that she couldn't fulfill when she was in you know, our, our reality. And then the fact that she gets whisked to Oz because she makes a sacrifice, she sacrifices her safety to go save her pet that's also something that, as far as I remember, is not part of the original story. So that was pretty cool. Already, minor tweaks to the story already improving it so much more in this version. So we've arrived in Oz. Toto is Pepe. Uh, it all makes sense now. Uh, <laughs> they begin walking and just kind of trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And possibly my favorite pop culture reference, just kind of joke in this pepe breaks the fourth wall and tells the audience start dark side of the moon now <laughs> julio do you get that reference uh yes because i've heard it before i mean i, I didn't remember it was the wizard of oz but uh, that's the uh, the pink floyd album right is it uh, uh like satanic verses or just mind control or what that you're supposed to hear when you play it backwards oh no that's not it at all there's just been this urban legend for decades way before my time that it's if you press play on Dark Side of the Moon at the right time, it syncs up with uh, the 1939 Wizard of Oz, like the things that happen and it sync up to the music in that. Like, uh, like referencing it in the lyrics? No, just kind of like the music, like you know the the beats hit and shit like that. Oh, okay. Then yeah, I did not get it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon for the parents out there. 
It, that makes yeah, sense. That, I'm not a parent. I think it was a Beatles album that had the thing. If you played it backwards, it was either telling you to kill yourself or something. I don't know. Urban legends as they exist. Urban legend claims that if you play Pink Floyd's classic album while you're watching The Wizard of Oz, there's an incredible synchronicity. Okay. So there you go. I mean, at this point, how is that still an urban legend? That's pretty easy to do, to prove or disprove. We got to remember when this shit was first proffered, <laughs> it was way before the internet existed and way before like there would be some fucking six-year-old kid on YouTube doing it and getting a <laughs> million dollars to do so. So, great joke. That's why one of the reviews I read was that this movie is strictly for kids. It was like, in the first 10 minutes of it, there's multiple references that will go right over kids' heads. Yep. Leading into one in just a moment, but we get... Uh, one of the wicked witches gets killed, crushed by the the trailer that comes in the double wide. Um, okay, this is one thing I don't remember about the original. Were there four sisters? Were there four witches? No, there's uh, at least from what I remember, we only see three of them, and and okay. they're not related, or at least the good witch is not related to them. The two wicked okay. ones, I think, might be siblings. You never see all of them at the same time, and you never see. Uh, I mean, they don't look the same. <laughs> they're not all Miss Piggy, for sure. Yeah, that, so they're in Munchkin Land. That I, that I was just trying to remember because I knew Glenda the Good Witch and then the the Wicked Witch of the West, uh, or is it the East? I don't know. I need to rewatch The Wizard of Oz, man. It's been way too long since I've seen that movie. Um, but they're in Munchkin Land. The Munchkins are comprised of Rizzo and uh, the other rats, and they meet the Good Witch of the North, uh, who's Miss Piggy, and she explains to Ashanti, uh, Dorothy, you know, hey, the, the Wizard of Oz can grant you your wish of becoming a famous singer. So she gives her her uh, the pair of slippers from the Wicked Witch of the East, who, of course, is also played by Miss Piggy. So they begin walking the yellow brick road, and she's wearing these slippers. And she talks about how uncomfortable they are and says, is there a bus or something we could take? And P- Piggy just... Very curtly, you want to be a star, don't you? <laughs> that I don't know why, but that made me laugh so fucking hard. Uh, like I had to put down like my notepad and shit because I was just laughing almost hysterically at it. Um, uh, there's a this is a long comedic sequence revolving around the death of the that first witch, uh, east or west or whatever. We actually see her. She's not quite dead when the trailer first lands on her. She manages to lift mm-hmm. it up, and then it falls on her again and kills her. And uh, it just goes on for a while because the, the rats first are celebrating, then they're afraid when she's still alive, then they celebrate again when she dies for sure. And Ashanti, at first she's going to help her, then she's grossed out. And it's, and it's all really funny, but it, I, I thought it was kind of edgy, I guess, in a way. I've, I'm not used to thinking of the Muppets as them dealing with this type of black humor, where you're just literally making fun of uh even though it's a witch i mean it's still it's a witch that looks like miss piggy you know and she's mm-hmm. getting crushed by a trailer twice and the second time actually kills her uh, it's uh unusual I, I, I was happy that they were taking those chances they were not sanitizing that aspect of the story because in the end no matter how you tell it i mean that's one basic element of of the wizard of oz which is that dorothy accidentally kills that's that's her debut in Oz. She murders. Well, I guess it's not murder. It's like manslaughter or witch slaughter. <laughs> Just, <laughs> but she lands on a witch, and that's it. That's that's her her big entrance. So uh, they kind of like double down on that. You know, we see her get crushed, and then she she's grossed out by their shoes, which is also a good 
point. Like, would you ever wear uh, a dead man's shoes? Like, just fresh off his corpse? <laughs> oh, man, it depends on the situation. This one, no. But, you know, <laughs> life and death type shit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, let's say you're, you're... Yeah, you need shoes or you're gonna die. And, you know, the only available ones are the shoes of a dude that you just killed. And, yeah, but in this case, yeah... I, <laughs> I, I I completely understood her reluctance, and I love that uh, the other Miss Piggy, the the good witch Miss Piggy, kept kind of addressing her and the audience and saying, "Look, this is how the story works, and if you want the magic, you have to go with the the kind of silly things that happen in in a magic story." So yeah, big big fan of that. Almost as big a fan as uh, me being fan of Pepe becoming her agent. Yes, that happens pretty quickly. And he has like his cell phone that eventually turns out to be a candy dispenser. Do you remember the, I don't know, you might've been a bit too old for that, but like there was a time period where everything was like a candy dispenser, <laughs> but it was specifically like a technology obsessed. There'd be like cell phones that had gum in it or beepers that had gum in it, you know, like uh, mouses for your computer that were full of candy, that type of shit. Just strange <laughs> waves we went through. At the end of the day, I realized all I really wanted was a Snickers. I didn't need all this fancy stuff. (laughs) Snickers in the shape of a cell phone. Man, to be fair, you fill anything with gummy bears, I'm going to fuck with it. I'll be like, yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) All right, well, this is the Wizard of Oz, after all, and the Muppets certainly don't disappoint. We got to get our uh, Cowardly Lion, our Tin Man, and our Scarecrow in the fray. Uh, Along the Yellow Brick Road, along the journey, the first we come across is the Scarecrow, played by Kermit. Uh, We... Get a Passion of the Christ reference, which <laughs> amazing probably is, isn't the most appropriate thing for a movie aimed towards kids because he's hung up like a scarecrow, so he's seemingly crucified. <laughs> and this uh, crow's like pecking away. He's, he does just call it the Passion. He's like, did you see the movie The Passion? And the crow said, no, don't tell me how it ends, which that <laughs> fantastic. I, come on, these fuckers that are talking shit about this movie, lines like that is what that's the Muppets right there, man. <laughs> you can take all your, you know, purist shit and, you know, cram it. Cause this is this is what I want when I watch a Muppets movie. Is the veil over it a, a little more fancy and fine tuned than I would like? Yeah, a little bit, but we still get the Muppets jokes in here, the ones that we expect and the ones we love. Yeah. They get on it uh because the bird said that he actually prefers the birds. It's like who? I I didn't even catch that. I mean, yeah, the kids are not getting any of that at all. That's just for the parents, and even so, like I don't know. I would say a good chunk of the parents would they even care that the bird is referencing an old Hitchcock movie? Like he didn't say Psycho. He went to the birds, which makes more sense, you know, thematically. But it's not as popular, I would say, as as Psycho. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's great. My only disappointment here, and I don't know if, if you shared this, Alex, but uh, we kind of mentioned it in the little Facebook preview, but Quentin Tarantino is third build in this movie. So I spent the entire movie waiting for Tarantino to join the story, and I kept trying to guess who he was going to be. So I thought he was going to be the Scarecrow. So when Kermit was the Scarecrow, I'm like, that makes sense, because Kermit should be one of the main characters, but I was kind of bummed because I honestly didn't see Tarantino as either the Tin Man or the Lion. So my next guess was like, okay, that, I guess that means that he's going to be the wizard and ends up not being him. So uh, did you have that experience of just kind of spending the movie waiting for Tarantino to show up? Yeah, definitely. And when he finally did, you know, it was kind of well worth the wait, but I'm exactly like you. I thought he, I even though I knew 
that if he had been like the lion or the tin man, that would have been a meme that I would have seen a million times up until this point. But I still was like, who's he going to be? Or is he going to be like, you know, one of the, the flying monkeys that backs up Miss Piggy? And I was like, maybe he does this crazy thing that I just it had flown under the radar for a decade plus. But it, then it made sense, though, that the the star Muppets would play our supporting characters. Yeah, no, I, I was happy with how the casting turned out. Uh, but still, you know, you can't help it. You see Tarantino third build. I mean, you, that <laughs> silly me. I thought that meant that he was going to have a big part, not just a, a big cameo. So anyway, so Kermit as the Scarecrow. Would you say that Kermit is the smartest Muppet? Not counting, mm, you know, the I inventor. Mean, that, that... <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, because obviously he's the one that he's like the, the backbone and he's also the... Yeah, you could call like you could call like Fozzie or Gonzo or something like that the heart of the Muppets, uh, but Kermit would definitely be the brain. So I think that's fitting. Yeah, I, I, so I, that's what I like because uh, from what I remember, the whole point of the Wizard of Oz is that they didn't need those things they wanted. They, they they had them all along. So it makes sense to cast the smartest Muppet as the Muppet that you know thinks he needs a brain, but he already has the brain. He just wasn't aware of it. So I was I was pretty pretty happy once. Uh, they revealed that that was that was gonna be Kermit's journey. Yeah, it definitely made the most sense, and he just looks awesome in the scarecrow outfit. I just I was this living here for the the wardrobing on the Muppets as we move along to uh, the Tin Man, or as it's known in this, the Tin Thing, which was Gonzo, who was like in a watch station from Endor when they they found his little side station. I was like, what? Uh, that's immediately what it reminded me of Return of the Jedi and they find him and he's just been sleeping and he, they wake him up and he says a thing of I must have froze up and shut down and he's the tin man he wants his heart he wants Camila back uh, you know home is where the heart is type thing we also get another I don't know if entirely for kids joke here of uh, Pepe's like touching his different switches and gizmos on him he's explaining what they are he's like well, what are these and he goes those are my nipples and then he just lets go and like terror and flees. He runs away and then runs past everybody. And they they do the what, what was with that guy? Um, with Kermit and Fozzie, who we'll meet in just a second as a cowardly lion. It's just basically them with costumes on. They like completely redid Gonzo for this. He looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but recognizable as Gonzo. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his nose is different at first, and then he unscrews the old one and puts the new one on, which is you know the Gonzo nose. Yeah, I, I was I was a big fan. The nipple thing, it, it's uh somebody you know in the 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 mini the letterbox quotes that we read on uh, Facebook, uh, they called it a, a horny Muppets movie, and uh, I don't know maybe my memory of what Gonzo is like in the movies has dimmed his sexuality. But now this is, the, you know, our second movie in the Muppethon. And once again, I found myself, I guess, surprised by how hard they hit his relationship with Camilla. <laughs> like, I'd never been aware of the fact that he is actually in love with that fucking chicken. <laughs> like, I thought that it was it was kind of like a visual gag <laughs> that, you know, you could put the pieces together if, if you were, like, thinking that way. But no, he verbalizes it. He's like, <laughs> I want a heart so I can <laughs> win my chicken back so we can be happy. As lovers, basically, and then that's followed by Pepe fondling his his nipples. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> this movie is all about establishing Gonzo as a sexual creature, and it didn't bother me. I could see maybe some parents getting squeamish, but like you just said, the kids are not going to get it. Yeah. Uh, you were mentioning the love with Camilla and Gonzo that... When we find Gonzo in the 2011 one, remember they they're like they run a business together. <laughs> yeah, but business partners. I mean, that's different. Well, they, they yeah, he loves her. We watched the 79 one where Richard Pryor was trying to help him get laid. Right, like, and that's what I mean. That like, that surprised me as well. So maybe I'm just maybe that just happens in every Muppet movie, and I I had never really it never really clicked until now. When you're you know with older age comes a bigger appreciation for romance, so that might just be the thing. Uh, but we're off to see the wizard we're off for a brain a heart and courage for the scarecrow the tin man and the lion respectively and then i guess the promises and trappings of show business for dorothy it's the wizard of oz so we got several obstacles along the way there's a deep gorge where they have to uh climb over a log that um statler and waldorf are there what what creatures are they supposed to be uh oh i did they they called him something critics so i don't think it was like an actual creature that's in the wizard of oz i think it was the name of the of that hill or that precipice followed by the word critics and that's what they called him um kalita critics there you go and kalitas are vicious predators which roam the magical land of oz so they actually are from the wizard of oz okay but they're not critics in the wizard of oz (laughs) No, that's the spin on it with Statler and Waldorf. And they, they end up all getting across. There was a really good line of dialogue, so much so that I wrote it down. Is that when Gonzo tells Fosse not to listen to his critics? He says, pay no attention to your critics. Take it one step at a time. I thought that was a very prophetic line. Dude, Prescient. It, this is before blogs and podcasts and Twitter and you know before all the Statler and Waldorfs of the world had major platforms <laughs> it's, this is before the joe rogan experience <laughs> yeah so lines like that are even way more uh applicable to today so uh in a time where it's really hard not to focus on negativity sometimes you just gotta take it one step at a time uh, they find their way to poppy fields which is a club uh my sister found this part to be especially rib tickling uh, as of course in the original wizard of Oz, they go to the poppy field where the witch curses them and basically drugs them. And that's similar to what happens here. They get knocked out. Um, we do get a cameo from Dr. Teeth and uh, electric mayhem. Is that the name of the band? Mm-hmm. Get a musical number from them called nap time. <laughs> Dr. Teeth just kind of looks at the camera a few times and goes nap time. <laughs> we get one shot of animal. So I was glad to eventually find he, out that this is not the the last we'll see of all of them. Yeah, and he does Animal too. Nap time. <laughs> I forgot to mention the previous musical number, the the four of them, uh, Ashanti and the three creatures sing a song called I'm With You. Uh, it's no moving right along, but it's it's good stuff. <laughs> no, none of the songs. Look, even even here in the in Contreras Corner when we're being super positive, I, I think that we can agree that none of these songs are moving right along <laughs> yeah so the munchkins is it the munchkins that come in and save them they carry them off yes because uh yeah. so kermit and uh gonzo i guess they're not affected by the by the drugs 
because one is made of straw and the other one is made of metal. Yeah, they're not real. Yeah. Yeah. So so they managed to carry uh, Pepe out, and Pepe half asleep uh, remembers the song that they need to use to summon uh, Rizzo and the the other rats. So he does that, and then they show up, and they carry Dorothy and uh, and Fozzie out, and then Pepe offers to uh, wake up Ashanti by giving her mouth to mouth, which that's right. I I don't want to say that's a callback to the Sandlot, but that was the first thing that I thought. Of. Come on, man. <laughs> It's. I'm sorry because I've seen it recently. So that was. Uh, I just thought of uh, Wendy Peppercorn and Squints. Yeah. They escape. They make it to the uh, central point of Oz, where the the alleged wizard is going to be. They're met at the door by Sam Eagle. They're taken into, I guess, the head of security, who's Scooter, and they explain did, that. Uh, did you think that Scooter was the wizard when they first walked in? Kind of, when the seat turned around, I knew that it was going to be like the Wizard of Oz. It was going to be some big floating or big, you know, Goliath giant type thing. But at the same time, I thought it would just be perfect if it was Scooter. (laughs) Yeah, I geeked out for, you know, five seconds, which was how long it took the movie to to bring me back to reality. I was like, no, Scooter, of course, Scooter is going to be the assistant to the wizard. And then we get a quick demonstration from Dr. Bunsen and uh, Beaker of... You have to wear these green glasses or else the presence of the fucking wizard will melt your face off or something. Was- As an example, they melt Beaker's face off. Uh- yeah, like the scene in T2 where Sarah Connor <laughs> dreams of the nuclear holocaust and just melts away. <laughs> this is where I realized, I don't know how I never thought about it before, but this is where I realized that uh, Beaker was the, the original Kenny from South Park. It feels like every oh, time he dies and everything. Yeah, he's always he's always maimed, destroyed, and then he bounces back. Like here, his head grows back, but but at first everybody's horrified and like, "Oh my god, you killed Beaker, you bastard!" And then he comes back. He survives to fight another day. Uh, they convince Dorothy she has to go through this machine that is going to like alter her appearance. It's going to be an optimization type thing. They basically have to, you know, build up her armor and manor for her to be able to advance in this game. So they send her into this machine. One of the um, stats or one of the settings on it says attitude adjustment for our patrons. That's a phrase you're going to be familiar with over the next few months. Uh, (laughs) And she comes out the other side as Kelly Osborne. At first, I was like, my God, they're literally whitewashing this movie. (laughs) And like I said... At the beginning of this, we were talking about things that will put you dead center of 2000. Uh, a cameo from Kelly Osborne would definitely do that. And obviously, you know, she went on to, uh, I guess, have somewhat of a a run and make her own success elsewhere. But the popularity of the Osborne's television show, you know, there was a, a, a moment of temporary swelled interest about them. And so seeing her here is... Uh, it's not quite like Liza Minnelli in Muppets Take Manhattan. It's definitely more of the of the moment type thing. And she comes out, and the best part is she's like, how do I look? And all the Muppets are like, eh, we liked you better before. <laughs> Poor Kelly Osborne. <laughs> I, I just loved that she was cool enough to basically 
play a gag at her own expense. You know, she has she yeah. seemed to have a sense of humor about herself, which I've never watched the show. I never watched the Osborne, so I don't know if that was that was her, if that was the thing. I mean, I saw the the commercials, so I know what she looked like, so I recognized her. But that's it. And then uh, I think that the doctor actually calls her out by name, right? Doesn't he make some mm-hmm. terrible pun about her name? Yeah, he says something like she's reborn, or you could call <laughs> her Osborne or something. Yeah. Um, and then I was convinced, Alex, that everybody was going to go through that machine, and we were going to get other actors to play the whole the- Osborne family <laughs> no I this okay. is this is where I thought we were gonna see Tarantino I thought that Tarantino was gonna be one of the three Muppets uh, either Kermit uh, Fozzie or or Gonzo in human form for like five minutes or less and then go back into the machine and you know they become puppets again so once again I perked up so like oh this is it this is gonna be Tarantino doing a Kermit impersonation but no alas only Ashanti went through the machine. It's the rainbow connection, okay? <laughs> so Kelly Osborne goes back in, and Ashanti comes back out, and she's hot now. She's got her hair done, and she's got new clothes on. They're green. She's and they're just all like the Mupp- this Yeah, the Muppets are horny in this part because the three of them are just like hell yeah, <laughs> very complimentary of her looks. So the four of them take turns seeing the wizard, and man. Julio, <laughs> dated, bad CGI, endearing or distracting? Uh, endearing because I didn't feel that the filmmakers were trying to show off. The point wasn't, oh, how cool is this CGI? Look at this technology. We're wowing you. That wasn't the point. The point was to be funny because that what drives those scenes is just the comedy of what the CGI is doing to the different Muppets as they walk in. And so I'm like, that's fine. That's just, that's cute. That's like playing an old game. If they made a Muppets movie today with that type of uh, CGI, then I, I would just roll my eyes. But no, this was just, it made sense. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. At first it was kind of like, man, this really hasn't aged well, but then it, it kind of brought me this sense of warmth of like, how over reliant we are on that shit now and how this movie kind of used it to a, a bare minimum just to kind of create this visual or this uh, aesthetic that um what it should be cgi that's too realistic creates the uncanny valley thing in this case you're able to suspend your disbelief and be like oh yeah the, the wizard would be trying to create these distracting things and also the technology there is going to be fairly primitive it's not like he's going to be able to create uh, you know, Star Wars level CGI. So <laughs> it all makes sense in the end. Yeah, I mean, in the world of the of that story, uh, he even says it at the end that they're very easy to impress the the citizens of Oz. So yeah, mm-hmm. th- he doesn't need to try any harder than that. And so he one by one distracts them, and uh, basically, Mister Burns style has a a pitfall that he just bottoms out, and they all go down. Um, where do they end up? Uh, it looked like the the trash compactor thing of Star Wars. Because it's just like they're surrounded by trash and there's a chute <laughs> that, you know, just drops them right there. Uh, you got to you gotta talk about that chicken animation, though, Alex, because I, I know we kind of touched upon it uh, on the Facebook preview, but it was really one of the most out of left field moments for me. <laughs> 
like the wizard versus pretending to be a woman, but it's not a, a real woman. It's like clearly a giant special effect of a woman. And then in order to get Gonzo's attention, she slowly turns into a giant Camilla and, uh, and Gonzo is entranced by her beauty. <laughs> I guess when you're a kid and you see this, you're like, it makes sense. Because, you know, you, you I, I'm sure you grasp on some level that Gonzo likes Camilla and that's enough. You know, oh, it's like a giant version mm-hmm. of that thing he likes. Uh, but then that's, I guess, the beauty of the Muppets is that it's always playing on two levels. I think at some point in this movie later on, somebody mentions that, uh, one of Fozzie's jokes works on two levels and I instantly went like that's the entire movie that's every Muppet movie everything works on two levels and here of course if you're a kid yeah it's just oh it's a giant Camilla so it's it's a big thing that Gonzo loves and if you're an adult I'm like man this is this is just so sexual <laughs> you turn a scantily clad woman into a giant chicken and Gonzo is all in on it it's how did they get away with that stuff this was this aired on TV, <laughs> <laughs> on ABC no less. On ABC. So before they all have the bottom fallout for them, the wizard tells Dorothy, "If you get me the witch, the evil witch of the east, is that what it is? Yeah, the wicked witch of the east. Excuse me, her magical eye. Then I'll grant you your wishes." So they're off to see the witch and try to get this eye that she has. Um, we, we get the biker monkeys uh, crooning Ride of the Valkyries, which made me laugh. <laughs> and eventually all the parts come together. We get a musical number, The Witches in the House, with Miss Piggy playing the witch. The witch is in the house. The witch is in the house. The witch is in the house. She's hot. The witch is in the house. This is my scene. Yeah, babe. This is my set. That's that's the best song of the movie, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, pretty easily takes everyone captive. They kind of, not kind of, they dismember Kermit <laughs> and Gonzo. They cage up the Cowardly Lion, and then they're going to buzzsaw Dorothy and Toto, correct? Uh, yes, yeah. Because uh, I guess she can't take the, the shoes off, and she wants the shoes, so she's just going to cut her legs off, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Uh, All kidding aside, I mean, forget about the giant chicken. Um, That sight of Kermit getting torn apart, even though you know he's a scarecrow and he's not really dying, that disturbed me and I'm an adult. So that's a lot to put on on kids and and good for, you know, good on the filmmakers for not, I guess, talking down to them. (laughs) But it's uh, Gonzo loses his head. And, uh, you know, he's a robot, so he's going to be okay. And But Kermit, I mean, he's such a beloved creature. And to see him just, like you said, dismembered on the floor, that was, that's that's heavy stuff. Fozzie outsmarts all of the, the biker gang, I guess, as it is in this. And through his comedy and just is like, hey, you guys like magic? It's like, all right, everyone bow your heads and um, close your eyes and give me the keys to get me out of here. And so he, as easy as that, he escapes and he uh, foils the plan with the buzz saws and saves Dorothy and Pepe. And this is where we've mentioned the entire time. Fozzie helps with the escape. We get the the showdown 
between Ashanti and Miss Piggy. And this is where we kind of pan out from what's going on to a Hollywood office, a, a boardroom, as it were. And Quentin Tarantino's got the storyboards up and he's pitching how this fight is going to look to Kermit the Frog. And he's sweating and he's <laughs> extremely animated and just outlining this most ridiculous convoluted fight scene possible. And, you know, it's so awesome to see for Quentin Tarantino and the films that he's made. He's such an enigmatic filmmaker and uh, would probably say one of the better ones of our lifetime. And the problem with that is sometimes you get to a level of artistry where these people, um, Christian Bale, for example, and I understand he's not a director or a filmmaker, but an actor, takes himself way too seriously. Like, yeah, you would never see Christian Bale do some shit like this. So <laughs> with you? that in mind, Tarantino, his movies are deal with very serious subjects and it's been said that he's a bit unique and um, artistic in his approaches and his thoughts. So to see this where he's literally just making fun of himself and portraying every parody of him and every thought that people think he could be like every, you know, preconceived notion about him. It's awesome. It's maybe two or three minutes long in this movie, but it's definitely for me the highlight. There's that. The best part is when he, because Kermit keeps rejecting his ideas. <laughs> They're too expensive, too crazy. And so at some point, Tarantino, I think that's when he takes his jacket off and he's kind of like pacing back and forth. And he's like, okay, I can make this work. I can make this work. <laughs> think, think. <laughs> <laughs> he does the thing where he like puts his two fingers on his temple. Like, I got it. Yeah, uh, I, I, it was worth the wait, and it, it was not disappointing. So uh, it's still weird that he got third billing, but I, I get it. So they figure out how the fight's going to go, and we go back to the, the movie itself. Uh, Dorothy kicks Miss Piggy in the face, and she eventually winds up in her bathtub, which the, we find out a little bit earlier that it always has to be filled with uh, bottled water because her skin doesn't agree with tap water. Uh, and we find out that one of the doofus simpleton bodyguards that she has topped it off with tap water and this is how the wicked witch of the east ends up melting away fortunately her magic eye floats to the top and dorothy grabs it and we're back off to see the wizard uh, yeah pretty gross imagery again I, I i appreciated that they didn't uh entirely sanitize the story for kids i mean that's what happens to the the witch in the original version of the story so here even though it means that we get to see our beloved miss piggy melting pretty graphically <laughs> to that bathtub it's uh i think it's worth it and they have a what's the name of this muppet that is i guess her boyfriend in this part of the story uh he looks like count dracula but he's not count dracula obviously but no it's like a mobster it's Johnny Fiamma. Yeah, it's he's Johnny. Like a, they call him Johnny, yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to be like a Frank Sinatra type. He's a, an old Goomba. <laughs> okay, well, I thought he was dressed like Dracula. Oh, no, definitely not. He's supposed to be like, you know, a Rat Pack type. All right, well, either way, him crying over Miss Piggy's death here, it was it was pretty funny. He, he grabs the dog, Miss Piggy's dog, and he goes, Mama melted. <laughs> good stuff we get back to the wizard and this is as if you've ever seen the wizard of oz you know the wizard is exposed and pay no attention to the man behind the curtain that type of thing uh in this case we find out that the man operating these cgi these graphics the man who asked for the magic eye is the one and only jeffrey tambor uh he's great you know if, if it wasn't gonna be scooter 
perfectly happy with Jeffrey Tambor as a as my second. Oh, choice. he's perfect. Like the the fucking '90s dad outfit he's got on, <laughs> the sweater and the sweatpants, and just it's, it's such a simple. It's the type of thing that like separates the men from the boys, so to speak, or the adults from children when it comes to comedic acting. The joke of him walking out of his little you know director's chair and he's still got one of the cords attached to him and he walks and then it pulls him back that's something that a million people could do and only five of them make funny you know what i mean yeah and he's definitely one of those people that has that gift and just the way he approaches them he's so awkward and then do you have it uh and so they basically come to an agreement that he's going to grant them all that they want but it's going to be this big television event in oz uh, where he's the host and, you know, it's broadcast to the masses. It's like The Tonight Show with Jeffrey Tambor. Just great. Somebody should produce that right now. He says, uh, this is his audition tape, basically, and, and he he handles it like a pro. The only thing he doesn't do in this movie is sing, because, you know, Ashanti has to shine on her own. <laughs> well, for the television broadcast, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, he uh, wears an amazing toupee. <laughs> yes. First, he has a hat, and then he removes the hat to reveal the toupee. And it's, yeah, it's like a big crown thing. It's fucking hilarious. It's just such a long journey. Like, this guy's done so much, you know, and he's funny in so many different ways. And here, he's just playing this guy that's a schmuck, basically, but he also happens to be a big deal because he's in Oz. And he has maybe, what, 10 minutes of screen time? <laughs> but you can tell all that in this performance where... He he's playing up to his audience uh, like he's a big shot, but we also can see that he's pretty pathetic. Like you were saying, you require a very specific set of talents to to pull that off, and he does it perfectly while playing off Muppets, which not everybody can do. Oh, absolutely. But then Ashanti uh, Dorothy, you know, starts singing and is finally getting what she wants, but she can't deal with it. She can't live with the lie so she stops and basically exposes that there is no wizard of oz and potentially completely disrupts the entire societal fabric of oz but she doesn't care because she gets to go home (laughs) i think that if anything she uh cements jeffrey tumbler's position there because they uh you know it's one of those things where she forces him to make a decision the citizens of oz that is now that our eyes have been forcibly open to this lie, do we just keep going with it or do we rebel? And clearly, it's too much work for them to rebel. So they're just going <laughs> to stay complacent and just like, all right, well, the-. so he's not a real wizard. It's okay. He's still a good guy. It's definitely a case of, you know, win win because she clears her conscience, but at the same time, the people of Oz are just like, eh, we don't care. he's smarter than all of us anyway so let's just keep living the way we're living (laughs) yep (laughs) so we head back to munchkin land uh it's basically just a layover on the way back to kansas as dorothy returns home uh how long you reckon she's been gone for (laughs) uh i I know time passes differently in oz assuming they're going by the same rules as the original movie because the original movie is like an overnight deal right she the original movie does that thing where she wakes up and it was all a dream, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So that was only a night, an evening. Uh, here, it seems like it was long enough for them to put up posters, like missing posters. <laughs> Have you seen this girl? So maybe 48 hours? 
Do you think it was longer? It's a pretty quick turnaround. That's I, I think it would be like a week. Those posters, a small town like that, you can't get a turnaround on construction paper like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is Queen Latifah we're talking about. That's true. So you could make it happen. Whatever the case, she returns back to the diner, uh, has a, a quip about, you know, you need help with the lunch rush or, you know, something fun like that. And, and then one of them goes like, what are you wearing? <laughs> yeah. They're both elated to see her. They explain that she has a visitor and it's fucking Kermit there. He says, you know, we listen to your demo tape. We love it. We'd like you to go on tour with us. And she says, I'd love to, but I realize I need to stay here now and uh, that she's not ready to leave Kansas. But. This is where Aunt M, Queen Latifah, realizes the importance of it and encourages her to go be with the Muppets and on their touring show. And, you know, now's the time. You've got the tools. Go make it big for yourself. So they never question where she was. <laughs> I just realized no. that. We all get caught up with the happy ending. <laughs> you imagine your your niece has been uh, uh, missing for, let's say, a couple days after a hurricane. You're worried, sick. You think she's dead, and she shows back up dressed like she's been partying. <laughs> this swanky green dress, green sunglasses, fancy Looks shoes. Like she hasn't slept in a few days. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, sure, go to California, go with the Muppets. I don't want you under this roof. <laughs> yeah, that was that was cool. I this is where it really pays off that they set up this story to be a little more complex than the the original Wizard of Oz, because in the original movie, it, it, it's like we're saying, she gets whisked to the land of Oz just because, and then all she wants to do is get back. So there's no, it's not about her trying to leave a small town, about her wanting to be a, a, a superstar or anything. But here, because they added that element, when she comes back, she has that little bit of plot development, the, the character development, where she realizes that she doesn't really want to be a superstar. She just wants to sing. And uh, and then once she's come to terms with that, then, of course, we get Kermit to really offer her a job to be a superstar. And then it's Queen Latifah's turn to to grow as a character and let her go. That's all that kind of stuff. It's just It doesn't happen in the original movie. It, it's such an improvement. It's uh, uh, such a gift, I guess, for the, the story of The Wizard of Oz to evolve for modern audiences that way so i don't get it the people that don't like this movie that whoever called it the worst uh of the oz adaptations what are you talking about this actually does something with the story so granted i haven't seen Mm -hmm. the whiz and i know there was a lot of whiz references that obviously went over my head but still as far as i know the whiz doesn't have muppets so this one's automatically better And then we close out with It's a Good Life, which, according to my sister, was an Ashanti song. Not entirely sure about that. Uh, I mean, it definitely was after this movie. Oh, yeah. I'm inclined to believe that just because it was clear that uh, the Muppets parts were dubbed over it. Hollywood magic, man. <laughs> just Jeffrey Tumble magic. <laughs> Sometimes they take their thumbs off and we just all can't believe that's happening. That's so good. He's like, I did this, and everyone thought it was amazing. The Muppets are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, The Muppets Wizard of Oz, Uh, an allegedly rotten entry in The Muppets filmography. Alex, are you ready for real talk? I am. Let's move it along. And then 
just as Dorothy and the Wicked Witch charge at each other, BAM! <laughs> Blowout fight scene. The gals whip out these huge samurai swords, and they just tear it up. I'm talking kung fu. Uh -huh. I'm talking walking on walls. I'm talking explosions everywhere. I'm talking Oz in flames. Bird, baby, bird. You digging it? The sounds are a bit violent for a family film. Okay, cool, cool, okay. We pull back on the fight scene. No explosions, no burn, baby, burn. Mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. right, you know, less kung fu. Yeah, yeah. But instead, what we have, uh -huh. are you ready? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Morphing. And we are back. But before we get into real talk, we're going to get into PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their patron feeds and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on this month like we mentioned last episode we have two brand new qvrs uh, alex you're gonna be doing a video review of the devil's candy and i will be doing a review of uh the documentary the most hated family in america no nothing about it so look forward to just recording my reactions before during and after i watch it and you'll do the same with the devil's candy uh, also uh, later this month, we'll have a Patreon-exclusive uh, episode, courtesy of our patron, Jamie Russell. Uh, he demanded we do Carlito's Way, the Brian De Palma-Al Pacino reunion, I guess, after Scarface, uh, which I've never seen, and I think you said you saw maybe once a long time ago, Alex? Yeah. Awesome. One of those I think I just watched in college once and never revisited. Probably didn't appreciate it or absorb it as necessary. Yeah. It's got to be one of those... Uh, dead alive things where you you have well, an I hope idea it's better it. than that <laughs> right yeah scrap that it's gotta be better than the dead alive experience hopefully <laughs> and then of course uh standard stuff we have the cutting room floor uh segments uh where we give you all the stuff that we cut out of the episodes for time usually uh we also have uh, our pre-recording notes and of course contrarians after hours our spin-off show where we talk about other things that we've been reading watching listening to playing alex what are you bringing to contrarians after hours this time I saw Metallica over the weekend, a very, very, very substantial bucket list thing for me. So uh, I'm going to be talking about my experience of seeing Metallica in concert in Arlington, Texas. Nice. Uh, what they played, how the show came across, the demographic of the crowd. Just I'll set up the whole scenario for everybody. But yeah, that was a fairly big deal for me. So I'm excited to recount it to you and our faithful patrons. Love it. Oh, my end. I finally watched the very last episode of Shit's Creek. My wife and I have been working mm. on it since the snowpocalypse from uh, mm. earlier this year. Was it late last year? Yeah, beginning Whenever of this it year. Happened. Yeah. We were all snowed in. Uh, we started Shit's Creek. We plowed through, I don't know, the first two seasons maybe. And then we've been chipping away at it throughout the year. Finally finished it. Have thoughts. Posted a couple of things on Twitter. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it. Uh, and then I also watched the uh, latest uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda movie 
on Netflix with uh, Andrew Garfield. It's called Tick, Tick, Boom. It's a musical about the life of uh, Jonathan Larson, who's the guy who uh, who wrote and directed, the guy who originated uh, the musical Rent, which, you know, it's something that we've touched upon briefly <laughs> early in our Contreras careers. So we, we talked about the horrendous Chris Columbus adaptation of that show. But anyway, Jonathan mm. Larson, a bit of a tragic story here. He spent years trying to make it in Broadway and then finally gets a hit on Rent and denied that Rent opens. I think he died. Oh, Jesus. The musical, Tick, Tick, Boom, is actually a musical that he wrote before Rent. And it's a musical about the making of the musical that he wrote before Tick, Tick, Boom. It's, it sounds more complicated than it really is. I'll, I'll tell you about it in detail in After Hours. But anyway, Tick, Tick, Boom, Shit's Creek, and Metallica. Metallica in the year 2021 in Arlington, Texas. You have that to look forward to, patrons, along with all the other stuff that I listed. So if any of that sounds like uh, it's worth your time, patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Check our tiers. See if you'd like to contribute to the contrarian supplements and uh, join the family. $1, $3, $5, $10. Pick your tier. If you're listening to this right now, if you're a returning listener and you haven't already, just give it a shot. You know you want to. One dollar will open up Pandora's box. It'll be a key key to the castle for you. You'll get uh, a, basically a tour of everything that we have to offer over there. And then uh, maybe after the one dollar pledge, you think to yourself, "Man, I really I need to have them cover a specific movie. They really need to talk about stealing Harvard." So I'm gonna <laughs> penny over a few more dollars and make sure that I make stealing Harvard a part of Contrarian's canon. It's just gonna be a slippery slope, but we're gonna be there to hold your hand through it the whole way and uh, guide you along. Uh, to all of our current patrons, y'all know we got nothing but love for you. We appreciate that you uh, continue to support us, especially in a way that involves you giving us money. It's fantastic. If you have any questions about it, be sure to reach out to us. Uh, we'll be sure to get back to you. And by we, I mean Julio, since he operates our Twitter. But uh, <laughs> check it out. Contrarian's Supplements. Yes. And now. And now, the car bomb. <laughs> the Muppets Wizard of Oz, 2005. Did you feel transported at all, Julio? I felt like I was back in my parents' house in Kyle, Texas, right before I went off to college watching this movie uh not quite because i think like we we established during our doctor who movie episode the the whole special event television it was not a part of my life the way it was no oh, I, I i'm not i didn't i'm sorry i didn't mean this specific movie i just meant the time capsule that this movie represents were you <laughs> transported back to the mid-2000s not quite i mean that <laughs> the, the references I think maybe I needed more of a mid two thousand setting. I think the problem is Ashanti, uh, more ways than one. <laughs> but but mainly in the sense that I have zero connection with Ashanti, so I don't. Yeah. You know, if if it was if it was Britney Spears leading this movie, I would tell you absolutely yes, <laughs> that transported me to a time. But Ashanti, uh, just this is the first time I've seen her in anything. I've heard her in anything, uh, at least consciously. So. Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest thing because Tarantino is kind of like the Muppets. He's timeless, so you can put him anything else. Yeah. So he's the second biggest element. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, same thing. You know, he's he's all throughout decades of entertainment, uh, and then the Muppets are the Muppets. So, so what I have that really anchors this movie in the two thousands is you know Napster, Girls Gone Wild. What else is there? 
Yeah, you've got Napster, Girls Gone Wild, the whole American Idol motif that surrounds it with the the thought yeah, of like yeah. the traveling show that you audition for. Kelly Osbourne. Kelly Osbourne. Uh, there you go. That's another one. That's a big one. Um, but yeah, it was a grab bag of mid-2000s things. It was a grab bag of items from my senior year of high school. And you know me. I'm a whore for nostalgia, so I was a big fan of that. Um, not to say that carried the movie. I mean, we'll just get into it. It's, I mean, analyzing the plot of this is going to prove fruitless because it's the goddamn Wizard of Oz. So <laughs> we'll have to go about a different way of uh, critiquing or reviewing this, as it were. But, of course, it's based on The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum from uh, the publication date on that story, May 17th, 1900. <laughs> Talk about timeless. Jesus. Uh, screenplay by Deborah Frank, Steve Hayes, Tom Martin, Andrew F. Goldberg, and directed by Kirk R. Thatcher, who, looking over his Wikipedia directing credits, he really just is a Muppet mainstay. Done a lot of work with the Muppets. Looks like some uh, other kids' projects, um, some music videos. No no feature-length films to his credit aside from anything Muppet-related. Uh, so, well, God, what an awesome career that would be to have. Just pretty much work with the Muppets. Every now and then you do the you do the, your indie passion project. This like really hardcore movie about I don't know drugs and yeah. addiction. Steve McQueen, uh, you keep making your depressing shit. I'm just gonna make the Muppets <laughs> over here all day long. <laughs> all that positive energy aside, this movie still has a 30 percent rating on Rotten Tomato. We already discussed the big reason for that is the the small uh, conglomeration of reviews. Still, 30%, so people are going to see that and think it sucks, uh, but that means there are some people that had something nice to say. 30% of the people had something nice to say about it, so what were these critics saying, Julio? All right. Now, these are some fresh quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. Uh, have Kevin Carr from 7M Pictures, who says, When you dig down and actually find and watch the new Muppet material, some of the magic is still there. I mean, how far did he have to dig down to find this one? Like we said in the first half of the show, yeah, you can't get it in uh, 4K <laughs> Blu-ray, <laughs> but it is streaming. It's 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 easier to find them dead alive, so they're not you know hiding it. I think you just not so much dig down as just kind of look around for it. Charles Cassidy from Common Sense Media says, uh, Ruckus Muppet spoof of a classic, Tweens and Up. Tweens and Up, do you agree, Alex? Too much for the for the kiddies? Uh, no. Like with any Muppets movie, that, that's... I was thinking about this during the first portion. Uh, the phrase Pixar humor gets attributed to kids' movies that have jokes for parents in them and whatnot. That... I didn't realize it until we were just talking about it. And that that should be called Muppets humor. Like that's that's the the mo. That's what they were. It was a show and a series of movies that you could take kids to and they would love. And also, if you're reasonable as a, an adult, a parent, you would love it too. Mm -hmm. uh, so no, it's still the Wizard of Oz story. If you say that, that means then the Wizard of Oz kids can't watch that. There's elements of it that are going to be a bit too much for them to comprehend, but it's still it's colorful. There's you know uh, different animals and creatures and things like that. So no, I don't I don't think that there's really anything for this the, in this movie that would be uh, not for a child. 
Not even when uh, Kermit is torn apart by the biker gang. Uh, maybe in the moment, but then it gets put back together. And <laughs> there's there's talking. plenty of kids movies. Yeah, there's plenty of kids movies like that where something intense happens, but it's rectified. Yep, yep. Uh, and then finally, Marianne Johansson from Flick Philosopher says, It's not a par with the Muppet movie Madness of Old, but it's darn close. Mm, is it darn close? I was about to say, I don't know if I'd go that far either. I think I'm a happy medium in between some of these things that you're reading. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm around that myself. This is, talk about the the effect of that green splotch. All these years into doing this podcast, and it still kind of colors my expectations going into a movie. Uh, of course, I didn't know that we were working with, you know, 10 reviews, because I didn't start looking up the quotes mm-hmm. until after I'd seen the movie. But I started this, and I'm like, man, this is, at 90 minutes, it's still going to be a slog, because I expect it to be bad. Like I, I, I had a pretty good idea of what a bad Muppets movie would be, even though I've yet to see one. Because I'm like, yeah, what happens if just the the cameos and the pop culture references are just not bad? Because I've seen movies like that. You know, like I, I would say, maybe half, if not more, of uh, the modern animation movies are are that they're just bad, lazy pop culture references, the and meta humor that doesn't work. And so I'm like, oh, I was just arguing, not arguing, but I was having a discussion about this. You know what movie you just described that I think is was so lazy and just flat out sucked was uh, Monsters vs. Aliens. Never saw it. That's a shame. <laughs> I thought your dramatic pause was going to be like, I gave that movie five stars. <laughs> no, I was I was pausing to make sure I had the right movie because yeah, I haven't seen it, but it's not good. But it's exactly what you were describing. Continue. Yeah, it's it's a. It's sad because I like Shrek well enough. I even like the second Shrek. But I feel that it started this trend of, oh, like, what it's funny is to make references to other things. Pop culture references and the fucking Matrix and uh, I don't know, American Idol even, you know. But even here on something like on this Muppet movie, and, and we both agree it's a lesser Muppet movie. But when they make those references, for some reason, it's just a Muppet magic that it doesn't great on my nerves and i don't find it lazy i just find it amusing maybe it's because they've been doing it for so long i'm like it's a it doesn't feel like a cheap shot like it's lazy it just feels like that's them uh and so anyway i i went in with low expectations and then i kept laughing and i was laughing and when it was over kelly asked me how it was and i was like you know it wasn't great but i laughed a lot and she goes well you're incredibly biased when it comes to the muppets so it doesn't surprise me so maybe that's it too. I mean, I don't know. Uh, how did you find yourself laughing a lot through this movie? And do you think that it's partly because you love the Muppets? So in a way, you're gonna put up, you're gonna cut him a lot more slack. Uh, I mean, kind of. I don't know. I, obviously, I can only assess my thoughts and judgment to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I was laughing. I was fully cognizant the whole time that it wasn't that it was a weaker entry. At no point in this did I confuse this for like the '79 Muppets Take Manhattan oh, no. or <laughs> the 2011. Like at no point was I thinking it was on that. But it's still, it's like ice cream, man. Like chocolate ice cream. It's uh, or whatever flavor you like. Um, pizza. It's there are definitely ones that are better than others, but. Even like not that good, still has parts of it. You're like hell yeah, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> the 
the the cheese that curls around the crust. Fuck yeah, uh, or pepperoni. Or I don't know. People use sex for this analogy all the time. Yes. too. But, you know, even when it's bad, it's pretty good. Well, I was about Do to what? quote uh, Dan Fogler. Sex. It's still sex. Sex. <laughs> so with that in mind, it's still funny when Piggy delivers lines very aggressively. I wasn't kidding in Contrarian's Corner. I laughed very hard when she aggressively turned around to Ashanti and said, you want to be a star, don't you? When she was complaining <laughs> about having to walk. I thought that shit was hilarious. And, um, oh, man, there's a part right at the very end. I, I like, missed whatever the following line of dialogue was. I missed some of Queen Latifah's speech about, you know, going to Hollywood because I was laughing so hard when when she turns down Kermit and he's like, okay. And then he's like talking to himself and he walks off camera and you hear him say, there was that other girl that was okay, I guess. <laughs> like just talking to In himself Nebraska. about, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was it. In Nebraska. I mean, that shit's fucking funny, dude. Does that, the Muppets are always going to bring something to the table that will, that I will enjoy. Uh, you know, we're not to the point of getting scores this movie yet, but it, this wasn't, it, it's not enough to carry it to make me say like, this is great. Um, I don't think it's, I think 30% is very misleading in mm-hmm. terms of a score for it to have on Rotten Tomatoes for my first time watching it. The novelty was there of seeing this made for TV movie. Um, it's a truncated version of the wizard of Oz story. And I think that's fun uh, because I, I really enjoy that story. And, you know, you have classic Muppet-style comedy in it. The Quentin Tarantino cameo almost exists in its own universe within this movie. (laughs) Um, So I don't... We can talk about that momentarily. But, like, Jeffrey Tambor is really funny in this. And, again, one of those things you can tell he's having fun. You can tell, like, with most Muppets movies, this was probably a lot of fun to make with the sets and everything. And, yeah, I, I have a hard time being cynical about this. And it's not just because I love the Muppets. It just goes back to what we talk about with some movies like this i'm pretty sure it accomplished its goal uh, of what it was trying to be and obviously wasn't that much more but it definitely wasn't bad i I, did you feel like you wasted your time oh no 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 no. me neither yeah me neither it but i wouldn't i was about to say i wouldn't go to bat for it but that's not true actually i would probably find myself defending it if i if I've had myself in a conversation where people were saying that this was a terrible movie. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, I don't think that's it. But I, I, I would say, hey, I watched it beginning to end and I laughed a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't. It, if it was a Muppets discussion, I wouldn't go to bat for it up against the heavy hitters that we mentioned or even like the Muppets Christmas Carol. But if someone just flat out was saying this movie sucks and is bad, I'm like, well, that's not true either. It's, it, it is what it is and it's not great, but it's certainly not a bad movie. I'm blanking on some of the other. The nipples joke is so juvenile, but I thought that was really funny too. Just because the way Gonzo deadpans and looks at him, he's like, those are my nipples. Like he says it so matter of fact, like, don't you know that you dumbass? <laughs> the that part is is funny. The Pepe running away, screaming. I could have done without that. You know what I mean? Like I think that the yeah. joke is funnier if he just goes, this, "Those are my nipples," and then they just look at each other, and then you just cut to whatever <laughs> happens next. I I felt that the the Muppets were funny. I guess there's two types of Muppet movies, right? There's the Muppets movies where they are the ones where the story's about them, and then there's a story where this it's about someone else and the Muppets are just around to kind of guide the story. And 
and I guess you have also the the unicorn that is the 2011 where it's both because the story is about you know you have Jason Siegel's arc and you also have Walters and Kermit's and that's just complexity in many wonderful ways but uh, in this case the reason that it doesn't work better for me is because the Muppets are great but they're there just for comic relief mainly and uh, it's it's a shanty story and uh, I'll get to shanty in a moment but there's nothing I mean what whatever emotional arc they have is very it's just it's played for laughs you know like uh, and that's fine because the movie's not interested in hitting those emotional highs when I don't know when Fozzie or Kermit or Gonzo realized that they didn't need the wizard, that they just, you know, they were perfect the way they were. In fact, I don't even think that they get that realization here, right? Like, it's. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely not the emotional resonance of like the Wizard of Oz movie, the original one, or even it's funny, you know, talking about it. It's funny that the exact same characters, like in something like this, it's like, yeah, they're just, they're there, but, you know, there's really not much to it. And then, you know, you think of like, the ending of Muppets Take Manhattan or like the rainbow connection sequence in the 2011 one. Mm-hmm. I think about, I think about these m- moments from Muppets <laughs> movies where like, I like choke up that it's, it's just kind of funny that it's the exact same characters and they can be used in such a versatile fashion. Uh, but yeah, to to your point, it's, um, it's certainly not about that here. It's not about the peaks of what, the Muppets can do and what the, you know, the, they they can do with different storytelling devices and whatnot. It's let's make this movie for TV. And that, that's another thing too. The scenes feel so rushed because it was made just to the next commercial break. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a byline, there's a story that goes through the entire movie, but these individual sequences feel kind of just, I, I used the word truncated earlier to describe some of this movie, and that's kind of how it feels in a lot of these sequences is just, all right, cram this in here, and then we'll move on to the next sequence. But basically just repeating a lot of what you were saying there, and it goes into also that it really does feel like this movie was intended to be a vehicle for someone, and that person being Ashanti. Uh, but the strength of what Muppet's writing and Muppet characters can do carried it. Where, man, if this had just been like a live action Wizard of Oz movie, and I don't know who the hell he would have cast, and you know, was written <laughs> as this vehicle for Ashanti, then it might be that thirty percenter that we're talking about. That's the one where Tarantino plays the scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Tarantino would be involved in that. I was really disappointed I couldn't find why he got third billing. Why he was? Maybe it was just the idea of trying to catch someone of someone tuning in at the very beginning and just like us mm-hmm. when's Tarantino showing up in this <laughs> you know catching them uh, on TV and holding on to viewers but uh anyway you had mentioned it I'd mentioned it Ashanti in this she would have been let's see I think I mentioned it in the first half 25 mm-hmm. and up until this point doesn't look like she had made too many movies uh, she was in Malcolm X she was an extra in that yeah, just a couple other. She was in, fittingly enough, a movie called Bride and Prejudice, which was a Bollywood movie huh. that has uh, Anupam Kher in it, who was in Singham Returns that I watched <laughs> for a quick video review. So there you go. It all ties together in the end. Ashanti is the the individual, the vessel that binds international film. <laughs> uh, 
that was 2004 and then 2005 she was in the muppets wizard of oz had a bunch of appearances on tv and this would yeah this would have definitely been during her time of her uh, moment in the sun she was on sabrina the teenage witch american dreams buffy the vampire slayer the proud family and then this the muppets wizard of oz and since then she's been in a few different things it doesn't look like she's had any starring roles but had appearances here and there She's obviously a talented singer, just based on my memories of her from from this time period, and uh, even just some of the musical numbers in this movie. But trying not to be insensitive, it just doesn't seem like acting was really in the cards. And what I can say is fortunate is that she's not up against too much in this. <laughs> How fucking dare you? <laughs> Queen Latifah and David Allen Green are shaking They're the awesome. fist. I'm you. saying, well, but that's for two scenes of the movie. Yeah. Imagine if the three of them were like on screen together the entire time. She would, it would become quickly apparent who the most inexperienced one is. I feel they, the movie, the way it was crafted, did a decent job of not putting her in any position to really get blown out of the water by another actor. I I think so, but at the same time, I felt that the she was fine in the scenes with uh with live actors and the more the movie mm. went on the more i became convinced that the problem was that she wasn't comfortable with the muppets she always felt like <laughs> you know like what we were talking about with with tarantino or uh i don't know if it was in Contrarian's Corner or the, or the Facebook thing, but you know, that he felt like he it's was getting late. Things are blending together. Yeah. But it was when he was talking to Conan about just talking to a Muppet and you forget that it's not a real being and you just, you know, get into that. And when I was watching her in this movie, I was watching Ashanti interacting with them, I got the impression that she was always extremely aware that she was surrounded by puppets. And mm -hmm. it's something about the way that she looks at them or the way that she delivers the lines, but it doesn't, in, she's the only human in most scenes. So she stands out in a bad way. Like she's not completely meshed together with, with the environment. So, uh, even like the songs, which you would think would be her, her, I mean, she's, she's a good singer, but the first song that they sing all together when, when the gang's finally together and, you know, you have Kermit, Gonzo, Fozzie, uh, Pepe, and Ashanti, and they're just walking down the road, whatever that song is that they sing. Now we are in the right direction, and I see all our dreams coming true. Yes, anything is possible when I'm with you. I'm just so sexy. Wow, a shrimp that shimmies. All right, it's unfoppable. Troubles are hoppable. It just felt like her movement was the most awkward out of everybody, and the other four are puppets. You would think that, you know, they would be the ones that looked weird and jerky, but it's her that when she was dancing, there was something about the way that she moved it. I kind of like that got into my head early on in the movie, and I just couldn't get it away for the rest of it. Man, she just she's not comfortable around them, which I mean, it's possible, you know. That's it, and that is something that 
maybe it's just not fixable you know if like if you cast if you're building this movie around a shanty well you can't recast a shanty which means that you just have to do what you can and, and just live with the fact that your protagonist in a Muppet movie is somebody who doesn't really seem to believe that the Muppets are alive. <laughs> um, so I think that maybe Ashanti at least would have been better off by just being surrounded by humans all the time, even if those humans were uh, more seasoned actors than she was. It's extremely interesting. I was just thinking back in my head as you were describing that, and I can definitely see where that's coming from. It's a fair take, fair point, fair call out. Well, did you? How did you feel about her ending? I mean, were you like invested? Because she's she's the, you know, the heart of the movie. Like she gets the arc that nobody else does. No, nah, I really wasn't invested in too much at any point in this movie. I was. I went into it, you know, not expecting too much. I about got what my expectations were, but the laughs were bigger than I was expecting them to be. But yeah, at no point was I really pulling for her so to say or you know kind of wondering if it was going to all pan out for her it definitely seemed like a paint by numbers movie that that aspect of it felt the most aimed towards kids of how predictable it was and how everything happened as you think it would in like a in a movie so yeah and again just to compare it to other muppets movies the 2011 one for example at no point in it, like in that movie there were points where i was like oh fuck are they actually going to pull this off or not that type of thing <laughs> And yeah. uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. I remember the first time watching that, just like wanting Kermit to get out of the, you know, the bout of amnesia that he has. Mm-hmm. So, but there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a movie like this that, again, it's the whole idea of it. No one fucking paid for this. You don't pay for ABC. <laughs> it's not like someone went to a movie theater and watched this. It is in a perfectly serviceable television original movie. It's so, I don't. I don't understand where the outrage comes from. You you get what you pay for, and in this case, you didn't. So take it. <laughs> I couldn't find anything on the budget for this. I looked at my usual places, but then went elsewhere to try to find information on it. I really couldn't find anything. I, it's a movie, so I imagine it was a few million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was very predictable, so I couldn't find myself getting emotionally enveloped at any of it, but it, it, that didn't really bother me. Yeah, I, I it was the same for me, and I was, I think part of it was just that I, I couldn't really keep track of what the movie was saying about uh, her dreams. You know what I mean? Like she gets back to Kansas, and she tells uh, Queen Latifah that she realized that yeah, what's important is singing not singing to become a superstar but just singing that she had rediscovered the pleasure of singing but we never see her do that in the movie you know what i mean it's not like yeah i'm i was kind of curious of where that idea came from too like you would think seeing like this massive fraud manipulate people would make her want to spread her genuine (laughs) gift or something i don't know yeah there's nothing there's nothing in her adventures that leads to her going yeah i really don't want to be like a big deal i just want to be uh you know go back to waiting tables in in kansas it's not even that uh jeffrey tambor's journey suddenly shows her what she could become i mean that's nothing you know that doesn't really happen in the movie Uh, it's also the way it's framed if she said like i just realized that you know family is what matters and i just want to be here with my family that would make a lot more sense 
yeah, yeah. Uh, and even then, I would tell you, I, it's not like she misses them during the movie. <laughs> she never mentions <laughs> She doesn't them. bring them up one time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, she gets the eye, and she'll be like, hey, maybe I can use this to check on my aunt and uncle just see how they're doing nope nothing she doesn't think of them at all uh so that was that was hard and then uh i mean i guess i can buy the queen latifah thing a little better uh but it's still i mean now this is just me applying extreme logic you know but uh because she goes like yeah no you know what you can go i'm like what changed just that she was gone for you know i don't know two days a week whatever and now that she's back i I guess queen latifah actually says it she's like not having you made me, I guess, rethink this whole thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, overall, it's weird because I like the... I wasn't kidding with Dry's Corner. I like that they added that element of, oh, Dorothy actually wants to get out of Kansas. But then the way that she gets out of Kansas doesn't really... You know, it doesn't work out. And then when she comes back, you know, she can have some sort of reckoning with her experiences. But they don't really do that. So it's almost like I wish that they just stuck to the the original way, uh, uh, version, which is like, oh, it's not like she had dreams of escaping. She just... It's a random thing that happens, and then she finds herself in a random adventure, and then she comes back, and nothing means anything. I guess in the original Wizard of Oz, you actually feel like she misses Kansas, right? That's the oh yeah, that's the, the through line. Well, I'm gonna say something fairly controversial here, Julio. Go for it. Um, I think Judy Garland was a substantially better actress than Ashanti. <laughs> oh no. Brace yourselves. Here come the one-star reviews. <laughs> uh, it, but you're absolutely right. She gets like sad, and there's parts where she cries about wanting to go home. And honestly, uh, somewhat when I was watching the movie, but us talking about this has made me really want to rewatch Wizard of Oz. Uh, so I might do that this weekend. Glorious Technicolor. Glo- <laughs> That's right. So we didn't have Rolf in this one, which... Uh, I noticed, and then I, I I forgot to make a note of it, and I'm glad that you brought it up at some point uh, in the Facebook thing. And now, so let's say that you you can put Rolf in. You have to replace a Muppet and put Rolf instead. Who who do you replace? Well, like Tarantino said when he was talking on uh, Conan about Rolf on this, the guy you know Rolf brought up. Eh, it's just the Wizard of Oz. It's not like it has an important dog character in it to begin with. <laughs> so yeah. Obviously, it would be Rolf would be Toto, but uh, <laughs> I get that just for the tone of what they were kind of trying to do, that probably wouldn't work out well. Uh, so that would be my pick, or maybe he's someone on Piggy's crew or something like that. Her guard dog. Maybe he's such a nice character though that you can't have him be with the bad guys. Absolutely, I, I would agree with that. Like I love Scooter, but maybe you can put him instead of uh, Scooter as the. A- the guy that the assistant to the wizard yeah or he could have been the front doorman at, at the the cat the wizard of oz's castle uh, instead of sam eagle come out and kind of let them in type thing but I, I don't know i think my expectations going into this and not from a perspective of like it was lowly rated it's just like i said you, you can only expect so much from movies like this like tv movies and I don't know. I guess that's just also a byproduct of me being raised on things like this, movies that were made for TV, and then understanding at like an early age, like 13 or so, that, okay, this does not mean movie like the way driving to the movie theater and eating popcorn there means a movie. It's just something to help pass the time and be fun. So uh, the fact that my favorite Muppet wasn't in this didn't really detract from it for me at all. 
it uh I- i'm confident we got more rolf in our future so i think i'll <laughs> yes. be all right uh well now here's the other one if you had to replace tarantino with a different filmmaker for that that scene with kermit vincent gallo <laughs> jesus uh, christ <laughs> i'm kidding um I don't know that who would have been a big cheese at that point in time, and who would be fun like that? I mean, it was oh five, so Scorsese was <laughs> ramping up for The Departed. Uh, I don't know, man. That that's. Do you have one in mind? Uh, actually, I thought PTA just because we were just talking about him. That was the first thing I was gonna say. Yeah, uh, the problem with Paul Thomas Anderson is he's not anywhere near as visually accessible in terms of like operating your brain as Quentin Tarantino is John and Jane Q viewer, uh, the average moviegoer, they could not tell you, they, they could not pick PT Anderson. If he was standing with us, the three of us, the average moviegoer would not be able to point out which one he is. Uh, Noah Baumbach. Fuck off. But, uh, they'd be able to tell cause his, PTA's watch would be nicer than ours, but there you go. But especially, you know, mid nineties up until that point, Tarantino was so out there. I don't know. And obviously I mean that (laughs) from a mental standpoint, but also (laughs) he was constantly in the public eye way, way more than he was in the past 15 years. He seemed to be on TV shows all the time promoting whatnot. And, and that's the kind of the thing. I think after Pulp Fiction, he got out there doing press junkets, the award circuit, talk shows, SNL, you know, those types of things. And he really enjoyed it for that brief period, you know, up to about 10 years time. And then since then, he's just been I think he's a classic case of, yeah, I did that. And I don't really have interest in, you know, being that public of a figure anymore. So I think this coming off the heels of Kill Bill. And like I said, people know who he is, and especially because, you know, let's say that 10-year block where he was really accessible to the public, five of that was just about the controversy of, you know, the shocking nature of his movies, Mm -hmm. and then it came around to, oh, this guy's kind of intelligent and kind of a, a charming guy and charismatic in his own way. So to see him in this, and I think this is why alone the scene with him is what i would recommend people check it out for because one you get the fourth wall whatever the meta whatever thing you want to use to describe the the humor here of breaking away from the movie and going to this boardroom discussion about what's going to happen in the movie and kind of like you know when we're talking about the 79 one with the whole screenplay thing that they have throughout it mm-hmm. but on top of that it's quentin tarantino pitching to kermit the frog that's funny <laughs> right away right that that shit's funny immediately and then he's got these storyboards, and he's he's like when Tarantino, when they did a caricature of him on The Simpsons, how like frantic he was and whatnot. And uh, did you ever see Norm MacDonald's impression of Quentin Tarantino? No, I can't imagine it. Oh, dude, it's amazing. It's one of the only t- things I remember Norm doing like a skit on SNL, because you know he was the Weekend Update guy. Uh, but he's like in a director's chair, and he's got that the hair like Quentin Tarantino, and he, he talks about I'm like a I'm an artist, okay, and he, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like a, a mix of all these impressions that people do of Tarantino and like the whole joke about how he's pitching these hyper violent things, like went right over my head. I was just so infatuated with how he's sweating and just erratically moving back and forth and pitching this. And like I, I said in uh, contrarian's corner, it's true for how 
different he is and how unique he is um, for him to do something like this that shows that he does have a sense of humor about himself. I mean, clearly, look at uh, the the climax of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's a man with a sense of humor, but to be able to kind of make fun <laughs> of himself like this, it's really uh, endearing. And I'm ash- I'm ashamed of myself that being such a big fan of his, it took me 16 years to see this. I, I thought it was hilarious. All right, Julio. So we we've deep dove the Muppets Wizard of Oz. I challenge you to find a, a podcast on the internet that does a more comprehensive breakdown of this movie. And that's the thing. It's it's not treated like it. It just really feels like it's kind of a nothing entry in this, uh, in the Muppets zeitgeist, which it's kind of, this is where it gets to the part where we give our scores on it. That's kind of true because the peaks of the Muppet franchise are so much greater than what this is. Yep. But at the same time, it's not bad. And until I'm proven wrong, I haven't seen something in the Muppets franchise that's bad. It's just things that are less good than the great stuff. Does that make sense? Yep. That makes perfect sense. I I am torn on my score, so I want to hear yours first. Uh, C+. The laughs were great. Um, The movie looks cheap, and that's... That's a natural byproduct of being a made-for-TV movie. And especially at the time period, if you weren't going to pay big bucks for CGI, it was, it was going to look bad. You were going to have giant mnemonic stuff on your screen. And so <laughs> it, it doesn't look good. It looks cheap. Some of the audio mixing is really bad. But it's funny. The novelty of seeing Kermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo as you know the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, and the Tin Man is great. I had a great time. If it was on TV again that I was in a room in, I'm not going to turn it off or leave the room, that type of thing. I'm not going to go out of my way to buy it or own it, but it's perfectly fine for what it is, and that's why I give it a C+. Yeah, uh, I was between two and a half stars and three. I'm going to go with two and a half because it really... The the big flaw in this movie is uh, uh, Ashanti, and I think that maybe if I was an Ashanti fan, then I would bump it to three stars because it wouldn't matter so much that how successful she is or isn't at interacting with the Muppets. I would just be watching mm-hmm. it for her and I, I would just get a kick out of it. Um, you know, I mentioned Britney Spears before and that would be something that would definitely uh, up my interest <laughs> because as a pop star, Britney Spears, you know, is somebody that I can identify more as like, oh yeah, that, that brings memories. And so, uh, I mean, we watched uh, Crossroads. <laughs> that was part of the appeal. Uh, and so... Uh, I, I'm sorry, that was the appeal. Yes. Well, the, you know, uh, Samantha Wait, from no, Sex Dan Aykroyd's her dad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan yeah, Aykroyd yeah. and then uh, Gamora was there. Justin Long. Captain Pike. Yeah, no, there's, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, <laughs> Just making a case for Crossroads over here. <laughs> Always. Anytime that we can. Uh... So yeah, two and a half. I love the Muppets. They make me laugh a lot. But there's a lot of Ashanti here, and I, I wasn't really digging that part very much. So yeah, if if it had a different pop star, then I probably would have geeked out a little more, and that would have taken it over to three stars. Still, I would just say watch it once. If you like the Muppets, watch it once, because there's some funny stuff. I As we were talking about the... <laughs> just the funny Muppets. I just remember that uh, a big laugh I got was when uh, Jeffrey Tambor is about to 
put uh, give Kermit his new brain, and so it's it's a box of cereal. <laughs> but he he asks for the new brain or whatever, and the Swedish chef brings it, <laughs> and uh, he just is like a two second cameo from the chef. He brings the cereal, give to Jeffrey Tambor, then he looks at the camera, he speaks the way that the Swedish chef speaks, and then leaves. That was beautiful. <laughs> I was so glad that they included that moment. So there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah, two and a half stars. So that was the Muppets Wizard of Oz. If nothing else taken away from this, if you come across it, give it a view. It's not on Disney Plus because I believe it's owned by ABC. But if you come across it, it's not going to hurt you. Give it a shot. Julio, where does the Muppethon take us next? Well, the Muppethon takes a break. So, so one of our patrons can demand some stuff from us. That uh, the, the aforementioned Jamie Russell, yes, he he demanded that we talk about Carlitos Way on the Patreon feed, but on the main feed, he wants us to talk about a movie that we've referenced plenty of times. I've found myself defending it more often than not against your constant attacks, Alex. Uh, it's time for the contrarians to give Avatar the contrarian's treatment. James Cameron's Avatar. Not it's coming up already. <laughs> it's time. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I did already because I went as soon as you referenced that. I remembered from several years ago. Um, more than that, it's probably six or seven years ago now. Uh, an article was written upon its five year anniversary uh, about how big of a gross it had, but how it had absolutely no cultural resonance whatsoever. Um, so for the first time since um, <laughs> Shakespeare in Love, I'm going to be uh, reciting. I'm bringing some uh, material to the table in terms of you know literature. Well, it'll be an interesting discussion for sure. How long is it? It's like three hours, right? It's Yeah, if it's not three hours, it's really close to it. You get to get get to see your girl Sigourney again. There you go. I'll take that. And also that big new TV we got. It's on Disney Plus for free. I know it's gonna look awesome. And as I told you, and I think I might have even talked about it on here, the ride at fucking Animal Kingdom is awesome. So <laughs> I brought you back a souvenir from Avatar Land. Yes, I still World, have it. So, yeah, I'll wear it to the recording. Jamie, we'll um, we'll be sure to deliver. Don't worry. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it dips a little bit below what we usually aim for, but that's what our patrons are for, baby. You tell us what to do, and we do it. You say jump, and in this case, we most absolutely say how high, because I thought I was never going to watch Avatar again. Uh, but <laughs> It's, it's going to be fun. I have high hopes that we're going to come out of this with you uh, a new comfort. You're going to go like, man, this was so much better than I expected, and then I'll finally be able to stop defending avatar and actually go on the offensive be like this is shit <laughs> and then you'll just extend your arms out and you'll just fade into the ether <laughs> all right muppethon's taking a detour it's taking the exit it's going to be at the rest stop for a little while so we'll be coming back for avatar the 2009 box office bonanza and like julio said it's about time so that concludes this episode of The Contrarians, and we're going to move on into perennial plugs. We start always by giving a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. 
Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothwieser is the man behind our logo, the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, our merch. Very talented artist. Uh, he is also a writer. He has a whole bunch of books, fantasy novels, zombie novels. Check out his work at mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also contact him on Twitter at mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. Uh, just ask him to draw something for you. You can tell him how much you enjoy his books or his two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for your support. And in closing, thank you to Ms. Zoe Perez, the curator of our social media game. If you're on Facebook, we are too. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Give us a like, follow, whatever verbiage they use these days. If you're on Instagram, we're there too. At Contrarian Prime. Our Facebook and Instagram, Zoe, uh, post on our Facebook. We have some exclusive videos where we recount trivia and random facts about the movies we cover. On Instagram, Zoe makes audio clips, video clips, interactive graphics, uh, things that generally Julio and I don't have the capacity for mentally. So, Zoe, we appreciate all that you do for us. And we appreciate you, the listening public. And we hope to see you again next time here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong.